right, welcome back to another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. I am Abby Mickey, and we've got everyone today. Gracie, hello. How's it going? Hey, hey, it's going great. Thanks. How are you guys? Good. Good. Hello. That was Amy Jones. Amy? Hi. <laughs> First ever IRL record of Abby's. Still no internet, but I made it up here very early in the morning. I'd like to add. Lauren, hello. Good morning, everyone. There might be little tiny baby sounds just for a moment. Yes, we are a podcast of five today. It took me a second to count we need- how many people we are. It's kind of apt, though, because, you know, spoiler alert, the winner of Harry Roubaix is a mom. So go, go moms and go breastfeeding. Happy to have <laughs> Harry here, Lauren. <laughs> Thanks, Gracie. <laughs> yeah, we're going to chat Perry Roubaix today, get a little women's tour preview for you guys. But before we get to that, this episode is brought to you by Zwift. One of the things that I love most about Zwift is their structured workouts. They've got tons of incredible workouts on there. You can sign up for monthly plans that give you two workouts a week. They're really, really good about making sure that your workouts build into each other and that you're really getting fitter throughout the process. Right now I'm in the middle of actually two workout sessions. One of them is the back into fitness that's Danny Rowe and Kristen Armstrong designed together. The other one is the Zwift Academy. I completed, I'm a little bit behind on the Zwift Academy. I did a workout four yesterday and it was a joy. I loved it. I was like, oh, I'm going to bookmark this one for later and do it again someday. It was really fun. So if you're looking to get a little bit fitter, if you're looking to up your game, check out the Zwift workouts and uh, see you on the McCurry Islands. Those are my favorite. That's my favorite world. The back into fitness one, um, Danny and Kirsten, they did like a whole series for, I think, pre and postpartum women. Yeah, they did. If I'm correct. Yeah, there's an, there's like a whole bunch on there for that, for, for all types of humans. You can pretty much find anything you're looking for on there and it's really cool. So let's chat Perry Bay. This was, I mean, I don't usually get excited for races anymore, Um I don't know if it's just like, it's not that I don't enjoy watching the races. I love watching the races, but for some reason, I'm just, I just don't get amped anymore to watch them, you know? And the day before this race, I, I almost couldn't sleep. I was so excited. Like it was I just the hype. The hype was very real. So did you guys feel this? Yeah, I know you did. Yeah. I mean, it's been a long season. Like, I know what you mean about getting excited about races. Like, if one was going to get me excited, it was going to be Pyro Bay, and that was the only We're one. We're as tired as the riders are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my off season? Yeah. And there was, like, a lot of hype generated on social media, too. Everyone was pretty excited about it. And, I mean, after the events, it was just incredible. The run-up did a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, definitely. I felt the same, Abby, the day of, not so much the night of, I didn't lose sleep over it, but um, the day of it was, it was exciting. Um, I guess we'll get into the whole coverage thing, but um, yeah, it was something special and a little part of me, I haven't felt the, the want or the need to race for a very long time, but then watching the race or just the lead up to it, I was like, that would have been cool to line up. Um, and also after reading your article, Gracie, which was really awesome too. Yeah, it was really Thanks. good. 
Yeah, I definitely lost sleep over Paris-Roubaix here in Australia because I stayed up late to watch it. And once it was finished, I just couldn't go to sleep. I was, I tried not to engage too much on social media while I was watching it because I knew that it was, I just wanted to really savor it and watch every minute rather than typing away. Um, but yeah, I think it was hard not to read a lot of things after it. And it really was hard to switch off and go to bed. And personally, if, if any of you read my article, but not you girls, I just mean the public, but um, you would have known how much it meant to me. So definitely emotional too. Yeah, the buildup was, I mean, the buildup was a lot and it delivered uh, exactly what I hoped it would. It was a super exciting race. Uh, The weather did play a huge part and usually I would be like, not stoked for an 82 kilometer solo move to win a big race like this, but I didn't even think about it when I was watching the race. It didn't even occur to me that she'd been off the front for the vast majority of the race. It was watching the race behind was just as exciting as watching Lizzie win. And the whole thing was incredible. I mean, we saw a lot of the riders who we kind of picked for this race struggle. We saw people really struggle in the mud. The roads were horrendous. We saw people who, the weird thing about, you know, women's racing is the, the women can look at, there's some women who, you know, can look at this race and be like, oh, I want to race that. Even though, you know, if it was on the men's side, they'd never get picked <laughs> for this race. Um, like I'm thinking specifically of Anamique, obviously. I think if, uh, you know, Valverde ever went to Movistar and well, he's maybe a different case, but if, if a little climber person ever went to, to, to their team and were like, Hey, I, I just want to race Paris-Roubaix, their team would be like, no. <laughs> um, but Anamique did race Paris-Roubaix. She did get to make that call. And unfortunately she crashed really bad. She broke her pubic bone in two places and her shoulder. Um, so her season is unfortunately over due to the just complete chaos that was Perry Roubaix. But, um, as in terms of the racing, I mean, it was because it was the first Perry Roubaix because it was this late season classic because everyone's coming off of incredible form at the world championships. The racing was full gas from the beginning. I mean, Tennille Campbell said every single time she, she was in bad position at the start line and then she just couldn't get out of it. Moving around in the circuits, the first 30 kilometers was nearly impossible. Every time she tried to move up, there was a crash. Um, the nerves were the absolute peak cycling race nerves. And then once they actually got off the circuit and onto the course, boom, they hit a four star section of cobbles. That was actually the longest section of cobbles in the race, 3.7 kilometers. And after that, there was no respite in between barely like five to six kilometers in between each section of cobbles, which is not enough time, but it was actually, I think that first section of cobbles that completely blew the Peloton apart and made it impossible for anyone to actually chase Lizzie. But yeah, I, I'm not really sure like where to start with this because there's just so much. Um, as far as the tactics, you know, the tactic for Lizzie was easy. I'm going to go into this section of cobbles, cobbles first for my leaders. She wasn't a team leader on the day. I mean, I think she always is, but the way that she made it sound, she she was riding for others um, on Saturday, but she went into that cobble section first. 
came out of it first with a big gap already. And, and that was that, that was kind of the end of the day. And of course our gap grew over the whole race, but, um, that first, first section of cobbles, I mean, that was, that determined the whole race. Uh, yeah, I really wish we could have seen the images of that point in the race where Lizzie kind of just slipped off the front and not not really even what she did but what everyone else didn't do. And I think that early in the race, it would have, it, you can assume that a lot of teams were like, oh, well, it's just one. Even though it's Lizzie, it's still just one. It's so early. It, I'm not going to chase. You should chase. They would have just kind of been that looking at each other for that little bit too long and that's how the gap blew out by so much so yeah like I said I didn't really particularly want to see exactly what Lizzie did I wanted to see what everyone else was doing in that moment yeah Mariana Voss said um after the race that they they were like oh it's just one solo rider and it's really far to go so that's why I think a lot of teams didn't jump on it when they did have the numbers but their numbers did not exist anymore very quickly on the as the race kind of progressed. I mean, I think I saw little snippets of it just as she was going, because she entered the cobbles section like a few metres ahead of everyone and then just pushed away. Um, and it looked like the the bunch was bunched um, as such, but then it looked like a little bit of shuffling, but I don't know if anyone... Yeah, actively tried to chase. And then what she put 45 seconds after the first section. And then every section she just put into the bunch. So kudos to her. I mean, she was riding an incredible race. Like technically, I think everyone saw a few of the little videos of her entering certain sections and she almost lost her wheel and held it up. And she just picked the perfect lines and did a, a really long time trial which was the safest place to be when we look at the carnage that unfolded behind. Yeah, I was about to say that too, Lauren. Like, if you're strong enough, that was the best way to ride that race is the safest and the smoothest. You you can pace your own pace. You're not going to be crashed out by somebody else. You can pick your own lines. So, you know, if, if you're strong enough to do it, that was the way to do it. And, and she did it, even if it wasn't the plan. <laughs> Yeah, she just seemed like really relaxed as well going into it. Like in the press conference, like she was just kind of sat there joking about how Ellen was going to win and like she was just super chill about it. And also I think everyone freaked out over the weather. Well, not everyone, but a lot of people would have freaked out over the rain and the wet. And she was just like, I like it. I don't care. Like, so I think like her attitude going into it was just a bit like YOLO and she just went. And she yeah 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 she really didn't have any pressure because all the pressure was on Ellen yeah um mm. but I mean watching her ride over some of those sloppy sections and there were multiple times where she almost went down and was able to hold it up I mean the bike handling skills are just I don't you'd usually think like oh someone who races cyclocross or something like that but I think it's um easy to forget that Lizzie Dagnan has been racing for a really, really long time. Like she was Lizzie Armistead before and then she left to have a baby and she, she there's like gaps in her career, right? Or one gap, um, but she's been around for a long time. She has those technical skills. And yeah, the, the best for me, the tactics totally made sense, even if it was an accident, um, 
the when you're going into a when you're in a breakaway and you're going into a sprint finish with like four other people or it's kind of like a small group and you're not really sure who's the best sprinter in the group like the joke is always when in doubt lead it out and she kind of did that but from you know the very very beginning of the cobbled sections because <laughs> no one knew For no sure. one knew like, how the race was gonna go so I think she's really good at putting herself in the right position in a race and you know she executed that perfectly that was like the display of a good rider is you know it's not just about it being strong and having good skills it's about where you place yourself in the bunch too and I remember sitting on the start line at Drenta one year and it was you know Drenta's always is freezing cold awful weather I was I had all my winter clothes on and she just had her jersey vest arm warmers no gloves she she's always raced with no gloves on and I looked at her and nervously said uh gosh aren't your hands freezing and she just looks at me and goes it's not the cold I'm worried about just like with this stock and cold <laughs> face and I was just like okay <laughs> okay Terminator <laughs> yeah. but oh yeah like God. she's grown up in Britain and you know like they have wet weather all the time Northern is not the just the wet weather she's yeah exactly they are she's she's had to train as a junior and and probably as lots as an adult too in awful conditions and they have a lot of black ice there too, which I must imagine is a lot like riding on those Paris-Roubaix cobbles of not seizing up and not freaking out when your bike starts sliding around. I better get myself mm-hmm. to Roubaix then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, go oh, for I grew it. Up in the north as well. <laughs> this you just never got like you you always joke about how you weren't good at bike racing. You no. just never got to what would have been your call. Yeah, maybe that was my jam. We'll never know. We will never know. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, you're still young enough to make a comeback. Thanks, Lauren. I'll send you a tenner later. The roads were insane. Like <laughs> the there was multiple sections where I mean, the cobbles were completely eclipsed by mud, and watching them ride ride through it was just like if you weren't in the very very middle kind of, or in some places you could kind of ride off to the side, but you were still riding, you know, in the in the dirt at that point. It was just like riding yeah on an ice rink there was some there was some really nasty crashes i mean there was one with with ellen where she went down really really hard and she actually got a concussion so she can't race the women's tour now and sarah roy went down super hard at one point so did Eliza balsamo and one of her teammates um there was so many crashes just like left right and center and i think a lot that we didn't see a lot um, but I mean, it was for the first ever Paris-Roubaix, someone said this after the race and I can't remember whose quote it was, but they were like, I think it had to be this way. I think it was Voss. Like it had to be this way, that this is the first Paris-Roubaix, that this is, that this is the weather we would experience for our first ever Paris-Roubaix. And I, it was, it made the whole day, like the pictures of the women afterwards, you know, in the showers and, and Sarah Roy getting hosed off by her team mechanic, um, it was just such an incredible race. Now's the time to plug the piece on JoJo that's coming out as well. Dan Cash told me to never, ever, ever plug, plug or it. promote a per- piece that's not that's done yet because then the pressure's on. The pressure. Oh, I need, I need pressure. And what if something goes wrong? I need a rocket on my ass. What if JoJo's like, actually, I changed my mind? She bet not. 
She sent me them voice notes. <laughs> Either way, her photos were sick. Yeah, her photos were her and Ashley Gruber. I mean, those those pictures were amazing. The pictures of Lizzie in the shower afterwards, and and she'll be the very first woman in the history of cycling to have a plaque in those showers. And oh man, I just gave myself goosebumps. Pretty cool. <laughs> me yeah. too. You gave me goosebumps just then. It, oh, I just love those photos. I loved the photos before the race with Boston. The photos after were just more than what I could have expected. They were just stunning. So, and yeah, I was iconic. Message, Gracie, and I'm like, you need to add these photos to the gallery of your peak now. Or, yeah. Um, I don't know. Just the, the whole thing about Lizzie becoming a new mom, like it's all new to me. I just, it's for me just even more special. I don't know. I think for all women just to, to understand that this woman has had a baby just three years ago and what she has achieved since then. And she balances her life so well, you know, family is always first for Lizzie. And then she comes out and does a performance like this and she's just pure class. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've heard that she's a very easy person to work with as well, um, which makes her even more likable when I know how difficult some, some athletes can be to work with. And we're talking about one of the, the best female athletes in our sport of all time. Um, I would put her up there for sure. So it was incredible. I say I was just torn watching the race with, with the crashing, even watching the men's race yesterday. Um, you know, we're all cyclists and the danger element. I felt for you, Abby, because I know when your partner's racing, you probably sit there a little bit nervous, hoping that, you know, nothing bad happens to him. But in this, these sort of conditions, it was just, you know, people were riding in straight lines and then just slipping, not, not hitting anything or taking necessarily the wrong line into a gap in the cobble, but just literally their wheels slipping out and seeing people like, yeah, Ellen crash after the year she had, I was just felt a bit sick that, oh, no, what if she breaks a bone? And then her off-season is a write-off reading Anna Meek's post, um, yeah, was... I felt really, really sad for her because, you know, she's been there before with really bad injuries and it's just, I think she even said um, it's too much or something like that. Like, you know, she's she's a really strong person and she's recovered from some horrendous injuries. We remember, of course, the Olympic Games, but, like, it gets to a point where it's, it's too much when you've broken too many bones and you've sat out too many times. So whilst I enjoyed the race and the epicness of it and um, I really, like, there was a part of me that was just, like, not cringing but just my heart was bleeding a little bit watching people you know crashing and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do agree. and I, I've seen a lot of comments on social media from people going, it's, I'm, I'm thinking that this sh- race shouldn't even happen. And they're implying that the race shouldn't happen for women. Like the, the risks are there for the men exactly the same. And they've been doing this race for 125 years and they keep lining up for it. So I don't think it's anything to do with gender. I think that people are signing up for known risks in this race, especially with bad weather. And I feel that while I hate to see these crashes, I'd it's still better than when people crash in dangerous sprints through towns or with the the barricades. I think those are much worse because those are, you know, crashes that shouldn't be happening. But Paris-Roubaix is 
you can't diminish that it's an iconic race and you can never take it away now that it's begun and it has such a history. So, yeah, I think there's always going to be crashes and people definitely don't deserve to hurt themselves, but it's just part of the sport and cycling is a very dangerous sport. Yeah, it's just like the risk you take, I guess. But, like, I mean, crashing isn't entertainment. Like, I don't think people should view it that way. Like, it's, I mean, it's dramatic and whatever, but it's like those are still people that are crashing on the floor. But, yeah, that's a really good point about the, the sprints and, like, dangerous like other races where there's dangerous like situations and crashes. Whereas like, you know, you go sliding along the mud in Pyro Bay, you probably isn't as bad as, you know, oh, a downhill sprint in, a t- in the tour of Poland, for example. Like, yeah. But I'd be curious where Anamit crashed if she, cause she was in a really early crash. I wonder if it was in the circuits. Cause I know there was a bunch of crashes there, which, you know, obviously would not have been, from the conditions at Prairie Bay, just would have been from race nerves, mm. which were bound to happen with all the hype of this race and with it being postponed for a year and and year everything. And a, uh, yeah. But her post was really, really hard to read because, yeah, like Lauren said, she's one of the strongest riders mentally in the peloton. And I spoke with her after she crashed at um, the... I can't remember if it was, it wasn't after she crashed at the Giro Rosa where she broke her wrist. It was, I think one of an, another one of her, her big crashes. She crashes, she crashes crashes not, 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 not often. Which begs the question, like why put yourself, I guess she wanted to be part of like the first, what? History. Yeah, but. She said she regretted it. Yeah, Yeah, you kind of have to, have to wonder why she bothered. I have to assume that someone crashed her out because her tweet was quite, upset in an annoyed way mm. <laughs> so yeah. like I think that she's wanted to do Paris-Roubaix for a long time I don't think that she would have been as you know angry sounding if she just crashed herself on the cobbles I think she would have accepted that as like well that's Paris-Roubaix but I, I don't know from the sound of it I think she crashed because of you know someone else or a part of the course that might not have been the way she'd hoped so yeah yeah that's it's hard to know it is part yep. of bike racing. Yeah. <laughs> it it is important to talk about because yeah, there, it was it was hard to watch the crashing. In the future, going forward, riders like Anamik aren't going to sign up for this race. Uh, it's going to be more riders who specialize in this kind of effort, and that will make the race more exciting. And I spoke with Lizzie about this when I interviewed her recently about the speci- specialization in cycling and team leaders being able to pick exactly which races they were going to peak for because they don't have to go to every single race because teams have more riders. The calendar is more, um, well-rounded in terms of what, what it offers to different types of riders. And, and she said, she's all for it. She's excited that there are riders who will be able to specialize in specific things. And it won't be this, weird you have to try to be good at everything and that means that there are probably a lot of riders out there who could have specialized at something like Perry Bay but it just wasn't on offer for them until now um and so we didn't in you know two three years we're gonna see a lot more like tactical game in in Perry Bay than it is just like sheer luck although luck does have a really good 
have a really big role to play. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just the natural evolution of the professionalization of the sport as in like, you know, once people are getting paid enough money to focus full time on training and racing, then they can hone the skills um, that they're naturally like predisposed to have instead of just like at every race, it's kind of just like the few riders who are able to be full time just kind of end up in this the selection, like the cream rising to the top. I think the more <clears throat> the world tour and like the minimum salary and everything is gonna, like we've already seen the effects it's had and it's just gonna continue to to progress, I think. We need that minimum salary for the continental teams as well. Yeah. In order for mm-hmm. that. Not only that, but if we just look at how much time and effort Trek Segafredo invested into the women's team for this race with equipment, um, they had their technical directors there working with the women, ensuring that, you know, everything um, for the day was like on point. So there was like full trust in the equipment they were riding. They'd ridden it before. Um, they'd done several test rides of Roubaix, um, obviously not in those conditions, but I mean, they came so well prepared, uh, just like the men. Would. They had a completely different bike than they race all year round. So Trek obviously makes three different kinds of bikes. They have the aero bike, the Madone, they have a climbing bike, the Amonda, and then they have the Demone, which is kind of like a, uh, Grand Fondo-y type, like it's what I have. You can slap some gravel tires on there and it works. It, it works great with gravel tires. It's like kind of this really versatile bike and they had a whole fleet of Demones there for, for the men and the women with a special paint job. I might add, it is the same paint job I have <laughs> and I had it first. So, uh, apparently they just really liked my retirement bike, but, <laughs> but yeah, they had like, they really pulled out all the stops, the, the Trek Segafredo team and other teams were just on their normal equipment, which for, uh, for another race, you know, was probably fine that they have all of that but yeah Trek Segafredo had they've been prepping for this race for like two years the day that this race was announced they had orders in for special equipment for their women their women's team and they were preparing for for what this race was going to be and yeah they had multiple like many many test rides with you know, their whole technical staff was on, was on site to help with this. I mean, it was like really amazing the amount of effort that they put in and, you know, the women would have seen that and not raced any harder than they usually would have, but it it would have been a little bit of extra motivation for them that everybody was, everyone worked so hard to make sure that their equipment was perfect for this race not just motivation, that confidence that you need. I think you need a ton of confidence to do, to tackle Paris-Roubaix successfully. And I think having those, that equipment and that backing is a huge thing. And, and also the, the fact that Lizzie had confidence in her teammates. I think that's one of their winning ingredients in that team at any race is that she was able to say, well, these are my cards. I'm going all out because I don't care what happens. I don't care if they bring me back because I know my teammates will be there and I want them to win too. And they're not competing against each other and they back each other and they're so strong. They know that they're going to be there. And that that 
all sides of that confidence kind of cube, I guess, is like what Trek has. And they did. I mean, Trek's like Fredo had the best, uh, the best race of the day. I mean, even without even like Lizzie winning is, you know, obviously the peak, but then Aliza got third and they had the numbers. They had three in the top 10. Audrey Cordon, Cordon Rago had an amazing race. They had at one point, you know, the most amount of riders in that chasing group behind. It was, they had such an amazing race as a team. And I mean, they've not had as much success this year as last year. Lizzie in particular has not had a great year. And this will have been just such an amazing moment for the team as a whole. And I know for the men's team too, like they were so stoked watching this from the hotel, waiting for their race to happen the next day. And uh, we we really love Trek Segafredo. Uh, maybe I'm biased, but <laughs> like, hey, we didn't even talk about this yet. I've known this for a while, but like I wasn't allowed to say anything. Trek Segafredo matches the prize money for their women's team to what the men have earned. They've been doing it all year. So the whole hubbub that happened on Twitter about the prize money, I had someone reach out to me saying, I'm going to start a GoFundMe. I was like, please don't. We did that already at Strata Bianca. It did not. We ra- There was a lot of money raised, but but like the there's bigger issues. live coverage than the prize money (laughs) the women are making. (laughs) Yes. It's a very easy way to like point at and be like, okay, inequality, but Trek Segafredo, they're personally going to pay Lizzie the difference between like what the race pays her and what Sony Cabrelli won on Sunday and not just Lizzie. They're also going to pay Elisa Longo Borghini what third place got. And they're going to pay Audrey Cordon Rago what ninth place got. Like they, as a team or track as a company, I'm not sure the exact details, but they match the prize money to the men's and they do that for every single race. And they've doing it. They've been doing it all year quietly without to like tooting their own horn, which I just think is now it's out. It's out now, but wow. Like, yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. And let's just keep loving on Trek. I got a few more points here <laughs> that I thought were really cool. Um, Lizzie, her, her post-race interview, she said, she was saying, yes, this is a historic moment. It's really special to me. I'm paraphrasing her. Of course, she was <laughs> much more eloquent and emotional, but the, the thing I really love what she said was, this is also a historical day for the fans. You made history as well. You added to the numbers of viewers that watched us. And that's only going to help women cycling going forward. And I really love that she thanked everyone for watching too and for them acknowledging that they were making a difference as well. I thought that was really important and I don't think many people would have remembered to say that, um, you know, in that moment. So kudos to her. And I also thought it was really funny that she uh, made an Instagram story about, you know, saying to Ina, her sports director, I, w- I was throwing up with about 20k to go and Ina just says, what do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> and it was like such my an team, thing to say. Yeah, yeah, if anyone knows Ina or has talk- heard us talking about her, it's not surprising, but it was still very funny that that she, Lizzie thought that her DS was probably still harder than most people currently <laughs> racing. It's true. It's definitely true. <laughs> and Ina drove the last however many kilometers of the race with a flat tire on the car. Like the photos of her car wheel after the race were mad. 
only flat tire that Trek Segafredo got on Saturday. <laughs> Shredded like the hands of uh, Lizzie. Yeah, that was end. nuts. Wow, the, yeah. But she oh, didn't yeah. wear gloves. I mean, in normal racing, you know, I get it. It's, I, I didn't ever wear gloves racing. I wasn't exactly her level, but... You know, I understand the the comfort and like uh, gloves just aren't comfortable for some people. Some people just can't with the gloves. But Perry Ribe seems like a different situation. Although Magnus Backstead said on the uh, GCN coverage after the race that it doesn't really matter whether you're wearing gloves or not. Your hands are going to be shredded no matter what. Mm. It made for some really powerful images, though. Her blood all over handlebars. Yeah, that bike is going to go straight to the Trek Segafredo headquarters and be like displayed right next to Fabian Conchalara's Olympic winning bike or whatever, which is really cool. That's awesome. And I hope they don't wash it. I hope they just leave it as is. With the I'm blood pretty sure blood. that seems like an issue with customs. Like you know how you have to be like, no, I've I've not been in mud. <laughs> <laughs> There's no dirt on my shoes when you go through customs. <laughs> It's true. They got pretty muddy that day. (laughs) We should also mention, you know, Mariana Voss getting second. Um, I think when she finally made that move and went and went for that attack, it was a little bit late in the race. Lizzie's gap was a little bit too big for her to close at that point. Even if Lizzie had kind of blown up, um, it was a big ask for Voss to bring that back. But what other rider would we have wanted to see, you know, fighting for that podium and up there with Lizzie? I mean, Voss is the greatest of all time. Her Palmar, Palmar, Palmares, whatever that word (laughs) is just like, so as longer than anyone else who's, who's racing, she's won so many world championships. She's done cross. She's done road. She's done track. She's just this incredible rider. And for her to be on the podium at the first ever Paris-Roubaix, just, you know, it's only right. Oh, it, it's yeah, yeah. I, there's nothing, there's nothing else I would have wanted to see, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely agree. I was really stoked for Lizzie to win, but I, I still secretly wanted boss to win. <laughs> I think that it would have just been the perfect victory. But, you know, if anyone else was going to win it, I'm glad it was Lizzie or one of the track riders. But, man, she was handling those cobbles like her boss self. It was, like, scary watching her in that chase mode. I just was wondering when she was going to slide out. She just looked like she was just taking that little bit more speed than everyone else. And, like, she was. She was making up time on Lizzie for quite a while there, not not at the end, unfortunately, but... Yeah, man, that was pretty cool to see her in her top shape, but also with her top skills, just railing it, just going for it. And I love when the camera was zooming in on her face. Just You could just see she wanted it so bad. Yeah. Well, cross season is coming. She's just, like, honing in on those skills. <laughs> I don't know how much cross yeah. <laughs> she, like, really does anymore. No. I don't think she does, does she? She will. She still does a little bit, but... Um, I mean, she hasn't had her best cross years, but that's because I think just the field in general and cross, well, it's a whole nother conversation, has just gotten so yeah, much I stronger. always Lucinda Brown. And they're specialized. She was racing. She was winning cross. Yeah, but. No, she was winning cross races. That's what's more important to her. She's said it before. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but that's like goes back to the specialization. Cross is the level is rising. Row, mm-hmm. the level is rising. It's harder to jump back and forth between the two, which is great. I mean, we want we want that. Um, I think that's, that's a lot of Perry Bay coverage. We talked about it a lot. Kaylee, Ruth Winder, um, and I think Zach 
did a special episode right after the women's race and they have audio clips from Tennille Campbell and Allison Jackson who had a run in with a with the Movistar team car that stopped at a very inopportune moment that was like one of the most interesting things about this race was like the riders didn't know what to expect and like there were definitely some situations where I think the vast majority of the peloton was like I don't know what to do <laughs> but the directors didn't either <laughs> so I'm like <laughs> it was like really really fascinating um but uh the they've they've done it now they've done one Perry Roubaix for next year it's going to be you know there's going to be way more teams that go into it with the same amount of preparation maybe not the same amount of preparation as track segafredo i feel like that'd be really hard to match but at least like you know some more equipment preparation uh for they probably aren't going to take you know their aero bikes that are a little bit harder to to handle <laughs> to a race to the race next year and we're just going to see more uh play out next year i think regardless of what the weather is before we stop the paris-roubaix conversation and do a really quick women's tour preview well i was gonna say when you were like i hope we see more of so i was like i hope we see more of the race itself oh next year yeah i do hope we see more of the yeah. race why they couldn't have start to start to finish coverage is beyond me i mean it's the first ever women's paris-roubaix they have start to finish coverage of la course we know that aso can afford it so why they couldn't you know have put in like that little bit of extra effort so we could have seen the whole race i mean if there's one race that you want to see from the gun it's paris-roubaix yeah it wasn't even a long race. They Lizzie finished it in yeah. under three hours. Literally half the time of the men's race that they could manage full coverage for. Over it was like what? Six I was like, this hours is long, man. I'm coverage? taking a nap. Yeah, <laughs> I had to watch the whole thing. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what do we think? What do we think is uh, is Perry Roubaix a fall fall monument? Should they change it permanently? Because I think so. I like having it at the end of the year. It was great. Yeah. I mean, we enjoy it, but the athletes, it's like, like we said, a really long season that, okay, this was the first edition, so it was really special and maybe they could hang on mentally a bit more, but... but in the future, know. if they, I think it belongs. In the future, if they're able to add more riders to the teams, and they're able to kind of, like we were saying, you know, make it so riders can take breaks in the middle of the season, then it won't feel like as long of a season to them. They'll be able to, you know, take that time, recuperate, mm-hmm. and. I do like the Belgians call the the Flanders Roubaix double the the mm. holy week of mm. cycling, and I think they they need to be together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. We just have so many one day classics in the spring, and not enough in the fall. Yeah, there's none in the fall. It's just maybe boring. we can have a maybe we can have a women's Lombardia next. Mm. There we go. The race of the falling. Leaves, there's a compromise. Yeah. Yeah, I did see on that's Twitter that that's one. that they're proposing uh, women's Lombardia next oh, year. Oh, really? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Which? Then we'll have all the monuments. Ooh. Well, Milan San Remo. No, not Milan. Oh no, please. Oh, we no. don't. Want we don't want one. it. We've got Binda. <laughs> For we the don't love need of. It. Yeah, we do not need. We do not need a race that long. Uh, no. I saw somebody on Twitter tagged me in something. I think it was Gary Fisher had a poll going about. Should women's races be the same length as men's races? And he said that in races he's organized, they always make the women and men's the same length, but the women's field was like really not stoked on it. And he was like bummed that the women didn't want to race as long as the men. <laughs> but like, 
no. <laughs> like that, that's all. Whole... The races are more exciting. Yeah. No one needs to be racing for six hours. That would it's just leave it for the men. I don't think men's races should be that long either. Just no, thank you. Yeah, I mean that's a whole debate. That a... is a whole debate. All right, that's it for yeah. Perry Roubaix. Uh, Gracie, you can go. Yeah, I better go. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks for I'll joining talk us. To you soon. Bye, 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 Gracie. Bye. All right, let's chat a little bit about the women's tour starting today, Monday, October fourth. Really, really quick turnaround for those world tour teams who had to, you know, jump across the channel. Is that how you guys say it? Um, yeah. From France to the UK to race the women's tour with only one day uh, in between Paris Roubaix and the women's tour. Um, but it's the final stage race of the year. Uh, obviously, usually happens in June and was postponed this season, but next year will once again be back in June, fingers crossed. But we haven't had it. We haven't had it for uh, two years. It's been over two years since our last women's tour. Yeah, wow. Um, won by Lizzie Dagnan in 2019 <laughs> <laughs> by two seconds uh, over Kashini Wadoma, who uh, also crashed at Perry Roubaix and will not be racing um, in Britain. She called her called her season early, which you know, fair enough. Surprised more riders didn't do that. Mm-hmm. But I think that's going to make for some really interesting racing in the UK. I think there's like a lot of British teams that are on the start list that are really hungry to show what they can do. Um, and the race is a little bit more open with the lack of kind of bigger names. Um, before we get into riders to watch, we can just do a really quick rundown of the stages. The The whole thing is very flat. Um, the first two stages are the only two stages that kind of have any kind of climbing in it. The first one is, um, got three categorized climbs kind of near the end. It does a finishing kind of circuit twice. So they do the same climb twice before they finish and the climb is relatively close to the finish. So it does look like depending on how the Peloton races, thinks about racing it, I feel like it would be a good day for a breakaway, actually, especially given the really quick turnaround from Perry Roubaix. I think the big teams are going to be a little bit hesitant to go, you know, wild on the first day. Um, so it depends how aggressive it's raced today. But by the time this podcast comes out, the race will be on. We can talk yeah. about the live coverage in a minute. Um, stage two is a circuit race, our favorite. 10 laps of a 10k course that has a climb on it um the climb is really close to the finish so that one looks like it's really going to be it's not a hard climb it's like a 1.2k i think but it's not it's not gonna be super selective but i think because they do it 10 times it'll wear on the legs so it will be a little bit more of a decisive stage you guys can chip in at any point if you have anything to say about the courses by the way I was just thinking that that would be such a good stage to watch, but I guess we're getting on to that. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Stage three, the first ever time trial in the women's tour. They've never had a time trial before um, in the whole entirety of the race since 2014. 16.6 kilometer, just 
completely pan flat time trial. It kind of descends to the finish even. Um, it's going to be a really fast one. It's not super technical. There's a couple turns in there, but for the most part, you know, it's just a loop. Um, and unfortunately Ellen Van Dyke, cause she's got a concussion won't be racing, but there are some British riders, notably the new, uh, world hour record, Joss Loudon, who is racing, who, you know, is going to be like frothing at the mouth looking yeah. at this time trial. Definitely. Um, and then moving on stage four, super technical, uh, relatively short. This one's only 117 K the tour of Britain does a really good tour of Britain. The women's tour does a really good job of having, um, like these shorter stages, hmm. which I just love. I think, I think it's- also it's cause it's like the type of like in the UK, the terrain is very it, like profiles might look flat and it might look on paper to be a bit easier or shorter, but type of road that you get in the UK is like really I mean it's like sticky yeah it's like heavy like and I call it like the sneaky elevation in the UK like Mm. it's not like you're gonna go up a mountain you know exactly what you're in for it's like the rolling terrain just like slowly gathers like elevation and slowly sucks the life out of your and the roads are super narrow and it just builds and builds Yeah. yeah yeah exactly so you have to ride good position the um, mental fight. Yeah, I agree with that, Amy. It might look flat, but it's it's going to be – it's always a hard race, and I think throwing in this time trial is going to add a whole different element to this race and who can potentially win it. If we look at the previous winners before from every edition, um, with the exception, I think, of Lisa Brenner because she she is a good time trialer. She won the, the second edition of the race. Um it's going to change how, how it's raced in a sense. Yeah. So yeah. Cause yeah. the last two winners, um, Lizzie and cash Niwadoma both won the whole thing with like one day having they're having a solo breakaway. Um, so less of an, less of a possibility that we'll see that this year, although it's never zero. Um, so yeah, stage four, uh, the wind might be kind of, it's pretty close to the coast. So wondering if the wind will play any part stage five is like even more. So the finish is right along the coast. Um, but it's, it's another pretty flat stage and stage six is the longest stage of the race. There's also relatively flat, although that one I think will have secret climbs. It, the, it does look a little bit lumpy. Um, we can, I guess, mention, yeah, that there was supposed to be live coverage. The women's tour has never had live coverage, uh, but there's a reason we do treat it differently than the Giro Rosa. Um, I know we, and a lot of people are really critical of the Giro Rosa for not having live coverage. Uh, and we kind of give the women's tour a little bit more slack, um, but that's because the women's tour matches the prize money to the men's tour of Britain. Like the prize money is usually really, really good at this race. The race organizers are very organized. I mean, it's just incredible how much they put into this race and, um, how the riders are treated. There's so many fans that show up to this race, thousands and thousands of people on the sides of the roads, um, which is one of the reasons that they 
they postponed it this year um, was in hopes that fans could come out and watch it if they moved it to the fall. Um, But it's a little bit harder to swallow that there's no live coverage this year with, you know, the rule that all women's world tour races need to have 45 minutes of live coverage. Yeah. Um, They, they aren't giving the women the same, same prize money as the men's tour of Britain this year. On the other hand, this is one of the races that's been hit hardest by the pandemic. So there is, you know, an aspect of human humanness, humanity that you kind of need to look at this race with. But for me, it's, it is really hard for me to stomach that there's once again, there's no live coverage. And they, they did announce in February, they had a five-year deal with Eurosport to have live coverage. Um, but between then and now something happened and they announced just recently that there would be no live coverage of the race. Yeah, we can't treat, I mean, yeah, you're right. The Giro Rosso is a, it is different because like it's supposed to be, well, it was supposed to be the premier stage race for women, like on the calendar. It's the longest, like it's been going for so long, like, but it's clear that they just don't give a shit Yeah. like on many levels. Whereas in this case, like, yeah, like you say, it, it's really well organized and like they do give the riders respect. But then at the same time, like we can't go around lambasting the Giro Rosa for not having live coverage and then like let the women's tour off the hook for it. It's difficult. Like, you know, there's lots of extenuating circumstances for it and like you you understand why. Um, but it's just disappointing because it is such a good race and like, it like some of those stages you just said like would be so good to watch and would be such a good showcase for women cycling and um yeah I don't know I think like we can't well I mean they should expect to lose their world tour status next year if if we're gonna like I mean yeah you can't make an exception just because the in the past it's been really well organized and stuff yeah no I mean they they unfortunately like they really should mm. they really should lose their world tour status um it's yeah i i love this race so i feel like really torn about it because i've done this race i know firsthand like how organized it is and how amazing you feel as a rider lining up for this race but if you know there's going to be six days of world tour racing that is going to be you know, it it plays a role in who wins the the world tour at the end of the year. It's, you know, one of the very few stage races that we even have and we can't watch it. Like it's really hard to get excited about it. It's really hard to try to convince people to care about it yeah. if they can't see it. And that's the number one thing that, that the cyclist Alliance and that we've been pushing, you know, to grow the sport is that people need to see it. They need to see the action. They need to be able to watch the women race in order to get invested in the sport, in order to pick riders that they think is their favorite. You know, there's going to be riders that put on an incredible show over these six days that we simply aren't going to see. And when you, when the race is over and you know the outcome because it's on Twitter, there's stories written about it. Um, it's, you know, it's harder to watch the replay because, uh, or the, the, you can't get as excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you'll, I'll put it on, you know, and I'll watch it, but it's also my job. And I, 
if if it wasn't my job, I yeah. probably wouldn't watch the highlights package, if I'm honest. Well, do you think Lizzie's win would have been as epic if we had just seen the result yeah, on Twitter? Yeah, I mean, Mike. That's drop. exactly it. I agree with everything you guys said. Um, it's a shame. I love the race as well. Abby and I go on about it for years and years, how much we enjoy it, and that's because we participated in it too. But, yeah, fair is fair. And um, I, I'm not under uh, – yeah, I have no idea what the financial situation is, but it's, it's just a damn shame that um, we won't be able to watch this. And I think also after just the epicness of Saturday – um, a lot of people would have been really G'd up to tune in and follow what was going to happen because some of those riders that raced, a lot of them actually are going across to race this race and obviously still going to hold that form for another week. Um, you know, I'm assuming Voss is going across. No? Ah, oh, that's a shame. I didn't see her on the start list. Amy's pulling it up right now. Moving back into the the race itself, based on the courses that are, you know, Pro- there's probably going to be quite a few sprint finishes um, in this race, and the time trial is definitely going to play a large role, but I think a lot of the riders we can look to will be um, riders who are really going well right now and have good teams around them. Um, Lorena Weebus in particular is going into this race with a strong uh, Team DSM team. And given how she's been sprinting all year, I think she's definitely a favorite for a lot of stages. The time trial is a little bit long for her. She's really good at, you know, short, like most sprinters, she's really good at short time trials. She won the prologue for one of the early races this year, Um, but probably not going to be a factor in this time trial, but I will, I would not be surprised to see her win two stages. Um, Aliza Balsamo will be there in her world champ kit and obviously sprinting incredibly well right now. Alice Barnes as well, uh, rode well at Perry Bay, but the weird thing about Canyon SRAM is they're actually only lining up with four. Yeah. Um, they've got Elise Shabby, Alice Barnes, Hannah Barnes, and, uh, Ella Harris. So clearly feeling the impact of the long season at Canyon SRAM. Trek have also only got four riders. Yeah, Trek Trek too. They would have had uh Ellen Van Dyke obviously, but um she she isn't she isn't able to race. So a couple teams really mostly the world tour teams mm. <laughs> really on the back foot. Um but I, but still with only four I feel like Alice Barnes is going to be up there in the sprints. Uh she can kind of surf well enough um that i wouldn't uh, i'm not super worried about her not having a ton of teammates um as i mentioned joss loudon for the time trial is a really good shout but there's a couple other time trialists who are on the start line i think amy do you have a few british riders that like a non-world tour that you think will have a good showing because Haley simmons will go well in the time trial probably but i don't know I don't, I'm not really like, I don't really know what's going on in the, the domestic. I don't know how much racing they've had. They've got much. Yeah. yeah. Not, not a ton of racing. Usually they'd have, you know, I mean, they are a very time trial heavy country. Mm. Um, so you'd think there's definitely some that we will learn about from this race. And I think as well, just going back, it's been a long season. I mean, you know, just mentioning the fact that 
two of our biggest teams, Canyon Tram and Trek Segafredo, have four riders. The, these British riders who haven't been able to really come across and race over here are going to be like, what's the expressing expression? Chomping, Chomping in the bit. Chomping the bit. Yeah, to race and like show themselves and to do something. Yeah. So we might actually have a few names that people aren't familiar with standing on the yeah. podium and doing some yeah, special. Yeah, I think definitely. I think especially, you know, on if there's ever a breakaway, it's not going to be big names that's going to be in that breakaway. It's going to be British riders on local teams. Um, uh, I think drops especially is going to be really, really keen to make something happen in this race, given that they have had a couple impressive rides recently. Um, they had two riders ride super well at Perry Roubaix for a team that, you know, definitely doesn't have the support that the world tour teams have. And this is their stomping ground. They want to be world tour. So I think they're going to be really aggressive. Um, but there's a couple other British teams that haven't gotten to race a ton this year that are going to be really excited about this hometown tour. And then, um, services are on, on there. Okay. Well, another team that's not there is next gen then. Um, but Amy Peters from SD works and Chloe Hosking are two other riders to keep an eye on. SD works aren't going either. Oh, just kidding. Oh, sorry. Of course they are. Okay. I was like, sorry. I was like, sorry. I I definitely saw that they They were going. Sorry. Jesus. Sorry. Anyway, that's it. That's all we got time for today. My brain's in meltdown now. This is everybody's everybody's losing it. Everyone's losing their minds. And Amy needs more coffee. (laughs) She's had an early start. For me. These people that live in Girona don't know what it's like to get up on an outboard. That's the actual truth though. That's (laughs) the problem. It's it's so bad. Everyone knows it. (laughs) All right. We will be back next week to to talk about what did happen at the women's tour. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and um, have a great week. Peace.